Oh, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Bible Church at Gainesville for July 9th, 2023. And I made it up here to the podium. It's exciting. It's good to see everyone. It's good to see the Williams. It's good to see little David here today. I think this is his first Sunday. So what a blessing that is. And it's good to be back up here and sharing God's Word with you all. And before I start, both Jenny and I just want to thank everyone for being so wonderful. Uh, you guys were so great over these past four weeks. Uh, you know, the surgery was a little harder than I thought it would be. Um, physically, it was about what I expected, but the mental part has been a little tough, and that happens sometimes in surgery. But again, we just want to say many thanks for all the prayers, the meals, the groceries, the transportation, everything. Thank you so much. I still have a ways to go, but you know the Lord has been good, and here I am. And so, here we are today, and we're going to be walking back through the Psalms. And I've really been enjoying Pastor Brandon as he's been taking us through the Sermon on the Mount, step by step. The Sermon on the Mount is an amazing part of Scripture. But he needed a well-deserved break, and so I prayed and waited to see if the Lord would allow me to do this today, and he is so gracious and he made a way. And so we'll take a break from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and we'll walk back into the Psalms. And today we'll we'll walk through Psalm 15. So just a quick review, because it's it's been six weeks since we looked at Psalm 14, and as we've walked through the beginning of the book of Psalms, we've learned that because of sin, we're all born traveling down a road, a path that leads to an eternal separation from God and punishment. And this road leads us being apart from God and eternal punishment, but by the grace of God, there's another road, there's another way. And this way leads to being with God connected with God the Father and forever blessed. So there's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. We saw that in Psalm 1. And everyone born is, we're already on the road of the wicked. And the only way off the road of the wicked and onto the way of the righteous is through Jesus Christ. That through His shed blood, that He has made a way, the only way for the atonement of our sins. And so when we repent, Yahweh God takes us off the way of the wicked and places us on on the way of the righteous. And so back in Psalm 1, David really sums up the entire book of Psalms for us when he said in Psalm 1, verse 6, Psalm 1, 6, he said, For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. He said, Yahweh knows. And this word knows here is the same word used in Genesis 4, 1. It's when talking about how Adam knew his wife Eve. So it's a close, personal, intimate relationship. And what this is showing us is that there's an intimate relationship with Yahweh God for those on the way of the righteous. This means that God has a deep commitment to love and care for His own. And for those on the way of the righteous, they're characterized, they're identified by a love for God and a devotion to live a godly life. And then the rest of Psalm 1.6, David finishes his thought with this. He says, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so those who do not repent, 
and those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not under God's loving care. They have no personal relationship with Him, and they don't even want one. They're born sinners, and they don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, they love their sin. They want to continue down this road as fast as they can. So we have two ways, two different destinations. And what David does in these early Psalms is he wants us to see things the way God the Father sees them. David wants us to see that sin, sin is something not to be taken lightly or just laughed off. Or we must never think that, well, since God is love, well, then that trumps everything else. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about your sin. No, David wants us to see that that we live in a fallen, sinful world and it can look to us, it can look to us true believers that those who are on the, the way of the wicked, the road of the wicked, they seem to... They seem to have a better life because they seem to be winning. They seem to be enjoying life more. Things seem to be going their way more often than those on the way of the righteous. But David wants us to remember that that's not true. So even those on the way of the righteous are going to suffer. We're going to struggle. We're going we're to wonder just what's going on because sometimes things will make no sense to us. But... David reminds us that God is with those on the way of the righteous every step of the way because there's a close, personal, intimate relationship with Him. And it may look like the wicked are winning, but they're not in control. It looks like they are, but they're not because David says the way of the wicked will perish. David really wants us to understand this as we walk through the Psalms. The last time we looked at Psalm 14. And in Psalm 14, David really focuses on the way of the wicked. And if you remember that. In fact, he walked us through the way of the wicked and he showed us that sin is like a giant slide. That once you begin the slide downward, this wickedness increases and it picks up speed until it gets to the point where someone will even deny that God exists. Even though deep down in their heart, they know that God exists. But they would rather deny Him so they can go on and sin more. And It said that they were fools. And that's, why Psalm, that's what Psalm 14 showed us. But, but today here in Psalm 15, David is now going to show us the righteous. That's why it's good that these psalms are side by side so we can see the contrast of the two ways. And the title of today's sermon is, Who Can Dwell with God? And so David just got done telling us in Psalm 14 that there is no one who does good. There is no one worthy to dwell with God. He said that in Psalm 14 verse 3. David said this in 14.3. He said, They have all turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so if this is true, how can anyone hope to ever approach Yahweh God? Well, here in Psalm 15, David asked that very question. That if there's, if, 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 if there's no one that does good, if we've all become worthless, if we've all turned away from God, then, then who can fellowship with Him? And so if you haven't already, I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 15. We ask the question, can anyone just approach and fellowship and worship God? Or are there requirements for us? And if there are, what are they? So what's the difference between the person in Psalm 15 and the person in Psalm 14? What's the difference between the person in Psalm 14 and the the person in Psalm 15? Well, let's take a walk through Psalm 15 and let's find out. So Psalm 15, and God's Word reads, 
a psalm of David. O Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? He who walks blamelessly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear Yahweh. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He does these things, he who does these things will never be shaken. And there ends the reading of God's word. And let's go to the Lord before we dive in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we are so thankful for the for the truth in your word, because Lord, we could never know you without your word. Father, show us how we can fellowship and worship you to dwell with you. Father, please forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. Please allow the Holy Spirit to guide and teach us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We have David asking the important question. He asks the big question. Just who is it that can enjoy fellowship with God? He's asking, there, is there a certain character that God approves of? And what are the marks of that character? And what do we see in that character? In Psalm 14, David, he, he showed how God looks at the fool. He showed us their traits and he showed us their character. But today in Psalm 15, just who is the person that God has his hand upon? And, and what are their traits and what are their character like? And this is a very important question. We can ask why. Well, because as we look around the church today, we're seeing a shift, a movement that's out there called the progressive church. And really, this progressive church isn't the church, but there's a movement from this progressive side that's promoting that we can come and worship God just the way we are, that we don't have to do or change anything about ourselves. In fact, let me read to you word for word how a progressive pastor opened their church service just a few Sundays ago during Pride Month. Here's how they opened their Sunday service. And I quote, And this is why we're gathered here today as one community in faith as we celebrate pride. Pride in who we are and pride in the diversity of God's creative imagination. So know this, children of God, you are beloved. You do not need to change anything about yourself to belong to God's family. Your job here on earth is a unique one, and God made you just as you are for that purpose. So find joy in being you. And that ends the quote. And so here in Psalm 15, David will ask, who can dwell with God? And so will this progressive belief line up with Scripture? Well, David wants us to know the truth and not just some man-made belief. In fact, what I just read to you, how that church opened their service, really sounds more like the fools in Psalm 14. This progressive church is, is talking like those who are on the way of the wicked. And so, do we not have to change anything about ourselves to belong to God's family? Well, let's see what Psalm 15 has to say. And let's break Psalm 15 into three sections. First, in verse 1, we'll see David asking the question. The question. 
And then second in verses 2 through the beginning of verse 5, David will give us the answer. There's the answer. And then third, at the very end of verse 5, David gives us a promise. The promise. So David's going to ask the question, he's going to give the answer, and then he's going to give a promise. So let's dive into God's true and holy word. First, the question. Verse 1. And in verse 1, it looks like David is really asking two questions. But he's asking the same question in two different ways. It's a a Hebrew parallelism, which means the second question is really a restatement of the first question. So verse 1, David asks, O Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? And again, remember in Psalm 14, David made the statement that there's no one that does good. We've all become worthless. We've all turned away from God. And so now we ask the question, so if this is true, then who can ever worship with you? Who can ever worship with you, Father? David wants us to understand that there is a right and wrong way to approach God. And also, not everyone can. That not everyone is welcome to dwell with God. And so what this means is we can't just approach God any way we want. There is a right way to do it. You know, we don't, have a, we don't have a king or queen ruling us here in the United States, but some countries do or did. But it would be like if we were to go over to England and wanting to meet with King Charles. We, we just wouldn't walk into the palace and approach him. No, there's a right way to do it. We would have to be instructed on how to act and how to address him and Well, it's the same for Yahweh God, but far much more so because Yahweh God is the perfect in holiness, all-powerful, all-knowing God the Father. And there is a right way for us to approach Him. There's a proper way. And what David will show us, that as we approach God, what we need to remember is our spiritual condition of our lives matters. If we want to fellowship and worship God, the spiritual condition of our lives matters to God. Why? Because God requires personal holiness as we come into His presence. But what does that mean? A personal holiness. How can any sinner have personal holiness? How can those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God ever approach Him with personal holiness? How could we ever have the words of our mouth match up with the integrity of our lives? How is that possible? Well, that's what David's asking here in verse 1. Oh, Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? The Legacy Bible says sojourn. Who may sojourn? Sojourn means to abide, dwell in, dwell with, remain, inhabit. So verse 1 reads, Oh, Yahweh, who may dwell in your tent? So this isn't just like passing through. No, this is, this is dwelling or living with. And when David talks about Yahweh's tent, he has in mind, of course, the tabernacle. And when he talks about who may dwell on your holy mountain, he's thinking about Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and it's on Mount Zion where David's own son Solomon will build a temple. So how can we enter into the king's tent, but not just enter, but be warmly received? What kind of person will God accept into his presence? Whether it's his presence in the tabernacle out in the wilderness, or in the temple in Jerusalem, or even in heaven itself. Who can dwell with God? Oh, Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? Remember, David's living at the time of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, or tent, it was the portable moving 
tent in the wilderness that God first chose to fellowship with His people Israel. And before the priests were able to approach Yahweh God in the tabernacle, they were responsible to prepare themselves by ceremonial washing and sacrifice. And then it was the same on Mount Zion when the temple was finished. The temple was the permanent house of God. And again, the priests were responsible to prepare themselves through ceremonial washing and and sacrifices before approaching God. And then there was the inner part of, of both the tabernacle and the temple called the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could only enter once a year. He had to be extra ready, extra prepared before he could even enter into Yahweh God's presence to go into the Holy of Holies. And even as pilgrims would go up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, they too had to examine themselves and prepare, even before entering just into the outer courts of, the, of God's sanctuary. Not just anyone can approach God. So just what does Yahweh God require of us to dwell with Him? Well, really what, again, God requires of us is to, to have as a pure heart the holiness of His people. So you might say, oh, is that all? <laughs> that seems impossible. Well, again, this is the question David's asking. And again, it matters to God how we approach Him in our spiritual lives. So David, again, asks this question. O Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? So first, he asks the question. And now second, he's going to give us the answer. The answer. Verses 2 through the beginning of verse 5. And what it's going to look like, what David's doing here as he answers this question, is what Yahweh God is looking for is someone that, that simply does good works. But that's not what David is telling us here. He's not telling us that we can earn our salvation through good works. That if we just do enough good works, then we can fellowship and worship God. That's not what he's doing. Notice as we move through this psalm, Psalm 15, David doesn't mention anything about sacrifices. He doesn't mention keeping the Ten Commandments. There's there's no loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Notice there's no external stuff mentioned here. There's no ceremonial or religious stuff. There's nothing external. No, what David will focus on is all internal, the heart and personal righteousness. Why? Why does he do that? Because he wants us to understand that our spiritual condition does not depend on the outside. It's not an outside-in effect, but it's an inside-out effect. In other words, a true faith is a living faith. And what David is saying here is, The same thing that James says in his letter in the New Testament. David would be in complete agreement with James. Because it's only through a genuine faith in the Lord that we can live out any kind of good works that David talks about here in verses 2-5. through We can ask why. Well, because in order to do them, it must come from the inside. A true faith is an active faith. A true saving faith is always accompanied by good works. Our good works will never get us to heaven, but our good works will follow us to heaven. James said in chapter 2, verse 17, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. So faith without works is just religious talk. A true faith is an inside out. It starts inside. It works out to pursue what James and David are showing. And what that means is when someone is truly converted, If there's a stark difference between someone simply claiming the name of Jesus on their lips 
Because there must be a change that takes place in that person that inevitably produces itself in real life. And someone who speaks only about Christ without a change in life is an imposter. And for us here this morning, we have the completed Word of God. We're living on this side of the cross. We're looking back at the cross. And we know that there must be the righteousness of Christ applied to the account of anyone who would approach God. Because it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not through works of righteousness that we've done with our hands. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Paul tells us this in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. In Titus 3.5, Paul said, He saved us, not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's only because Christ Himself has lived a perfect life and because Christ Himself has died to take away our sins that the wall of sin can be removed and we can have access to God the Father. It's only because Christ Himself has died to take away our sins that the barrier of sin can be removed and we can have access to God. So the only way anyone can approach Yahweh God is a life that has been transformed and transformed by grace. And for David, he didn't have the finished work of God. He was living on the other side. He was looking forward to the cross. But with God's Spirit moving David as he wrote these psalms, David knew that there was a coming Messiah who would take away the wall of sin and give access back to God the Father. But what David is doing for us in Psalm 15 is he's going to show us traits. (laughs) These are the traits of a true believer must have. Again, David isn't going to list every trait a believer must have, but he's going to give us four traits here. Four characteristics that that really encompass or that represent the full spectrum of what God expects. So David will give us four characteristics or four traits of what God expects of us if we want a fellowship with Him. And what's amazing is these four characteristics, they're they're going like from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes. It's a a top-to-bottom look. And so what David's doing here is he's giving us a flyover with these four characteristics. He's saying here are, here are four characteristics or traits that God requires for anyone to have fellowship with him. If you want to worship God, here's what you have to have. And so who can dwell with Yahweh God? And as we come into God's presence, these are what God requires in our lives. So these are a snapshot of four traits that God requires for those who want to enter into His presence to fellowship and worship Him. Again, David's going to show us four traits. And the first, beginning, he's going to start with our character, our inner thought. And then second, he's going to move to our conversations. He's going to show us what comes out of our mouth. And then third, our companions. Who who do we look up to? Who are we fellowshipping with? And then fourth, he's going to talk about our commitments. How do we handle our resources? And so the first trait David shows is our inner character. And again, he's answering his question of who can dwell with God. So look at verse 2. Here's the first trait. Our inner character. David says, it's he, it's he who walks blamelessly and works righteousness. Notice the verbs that David uses here. We have walks and we have works. And these two things are what Yahweh God requires of us. We are to walk and work again in this living faith. 
And so that means that our faith moves out. It walks. It walks blamelessly or with integrity. In the Hebrew, that means whole or sound. It's our entire character. That our entire character, everything in our life is constantly together. It's all sound. That means we're the same person on Tuesday that we are on Sunday. And so in every area of our life, there is consistency. This is our daily pattern of life. And so our Christian life is consistent. We we apply the entire Word of God in our entire life. We speak truth within our heart. Jesus said that the words that come out of our mouth are a reflection of what's going on in our heart. And so what is our thought life like? What is our inner man like? The one who dwells with God is the one who's showing integrity, truth, and righteousness inside where no one sees. Now we all sin, and we all fall short. But there, but, there, but there has to be a consistent moving forward, a constant walk to being more like Christ. Because it works. The next verb, it works, it has hands. It, 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 it's shown on the outside by the righteous works for Him. And this is pleasing to God and something He requires. And it says, and works righteousness. And this word righteousness, it means to live in conformity with God's holy character. And again, our lives are being conformed to God's own holiness and the standard that's set for us in God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said this to King Saul. He said, has Yahweh as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Who is the man or woman Yahweh God is looking for? To fellowship with Him? He's looking for those who who the inside in their heart, there's a desire to obey Him. And we need to remember that the only reason we can do any of these, any of these are because of grace. In the flesh, we could never do these. It's only by God's grace that we can walk and work or do any of these traits that David will show us. And notice the last part of verse 2. Our character includes the second trait, our conversation, our speech, what comes out of our mouth. David says, and speaks truth in his heart. There's another verb, speaks. And where does someone who speaks truth, where does it come from? Well, inside, in his heart. From his heart, he speaks truth. That's the truth in God's Word. The the truth of God's character. It comes from the heart. So there's, there's this consistency with the truth in the heart and what is spoken. This person is speaking the truth to everyone. So they're not saying one thing to this guy and something else to that guy. In the very depth, in the very deep inside, he speaks truth. What David's doing here is he's showing us that what grace produces in our lives, this, this sanctifying grace, this is what we need if we're going to approach Yahweh God, to fellowship with Him, to, to worship Him. David's showing us that God gives us everything we need to have fellowship with Him, but we need to work it out. We need to be growing and walking in that grace. We depend on God and His grace to pursue holiness. 
So David, again, asked the question, who can dwell with God? <laughs> He's just getting started, and so far it's a tall order. <laughs> but remember, it's, it's not perfect people, but repented people. People who repent that fellowship with God. And now verse 3. Notice verse 3, David continues with our conversations like the last part of verse 2 does. And David's telling us that what not only must our daily inside character be holy, but also what we say must be holy. It's not just what we are, but what we say. And the, the first part of verse 3, he says, he does not slander with his tongue. And if we take the last part of verse 2 and the first part of verse 3 and put them together, it says, and he speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue. David's showing us again how, how important our words are to God. And notice here in verse 3, David gives us a positive and then he gives us a negative example. He says, he speaks truth in his heart. There's a positive example. He does not slander with his tongue. There's a negative example. So he doesn't attack anyone's character. He doesn't slander. There's no corrupt speech. James chapter 3 and verses 10 through 11. James 3, 10 and 11 says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a fountain pour forth, pour forth from the opening fresh water and bitter water? What comes out of our mouth should always be purity. As we come in fellowship with God and also with each other. And now the end of verse 3, David will continue with our character and how it affects our relationships. Again, David's answering this question, who can dwell with God? So now he moves into the third characteristic. And so he's talking about our inner, he's talked about our inner character. He's talked about our conversations, our speech, and now he's going to move into our companions, our relationships. Who do we hang out with? Look at the end of verse 3. Nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Notice David begins both of these with the word nor. Again, he's using the negative view. And he's doing this to make a bigger impact on us. Because, because sometimes when we see things in the negative, it can cause us to... We really want to make sure we're not guilty of doing these. We, want, we don't want to be doing what he's talking about. And so David says, nor does evil to his neighbor. And our neighbor just isn't someone that lives next door to us. Really, it's anyone we cross paths with. We're never to do evil to them. What would this evil look like? Well, anything sinful. <laughs> we don't do anything sinful to those we meet or cross paths with. So not with our words or with our actions. And then next he says, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So we need to be slow to believe the evil of another. This reproach or shame or rebuke against a friend, that means before, before we would say anything to a friend about something, it needs to be crystal clear. There needs to be solid evidence. We don't believe any gossip about our friends. You know, it's funny, but before we're saved, it, it is kind of fun to hear the dirt on someone. It's fun to hear the latest gossip and slander. It's interesting to hear about others' failings and failures. It makes us feel better about ourselves. But now that we're saved, it's not so much. It's now sad and discouraging. 
No, now our goal needs to be love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Through God's grace, we expect the best from one another. Again, David asked that question, who can dwell with God? And so as we move to verse 4, David's still talking about our companions. He's, he's still dealing with our relationships. And he asks us, who, who are our role models? Even our role models need to be holy. Look at verse 4. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised. Again, there's a negative. But who honors those who fear Yahweh. There's the positive. First here, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. What David is saying here is that the righteous person, the righteous heart, it's not attracted to a company of the ungodly. The righteous are not attracted to fame or fortune of a person who rejects Christ. No, they follow godly men and they follow godly women. It can be tempting to look at the wicked and see how they seem to be having everything right. They seem to be having everything going their way. They have so much and we can have so little. But we remember Psalm 1 verse 6, for Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked will have to stand before God and they will be judged and they will be punished. So how can we even think of envying the wicked when we can have fellowship with God? What's better than that? So David says, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. David's saying it's, it's really despising their lifestyle. It's, re, it's the rejecting of their life. They reject God. We don't want to they don't want to fellowship with God. In fact, they want a life without God. So David's saying, why would we even want to trade places with them? No, we want to live in the Lord's presence 24, 7, 365 days a year. We don't want to desire the wicked. And we need to remember the road that they're on and their final destination. So when David says in the middle of verse 4, but who honors those who fear Yahweh? Again, we think of Psalm 1 and verse 3. The first verses, in fact, of Psalm 1. David shows us the guy that we should be honoring. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. David said, how, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now David's not saying that we're not supposed to be out in the world. No, we're to be out in the world, but we're just not of the world. But we shouldn't be wanting to trade places with people of the world. No, we, we should be delighting in the law of the Lord. Remember, David's answering again this question, who can dwell with God? And now in verse 4, we come to that fourth characteristic. Remember, David's giving us this overview. David's showing us our character, our conversations, our companions. And now he's going to show us our commitments. Our commitments. At the end of verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is a kind of a strange way to phrase this. He swears to his own hurt but doesn't change. But what David is stressing here is that when someone says they're going to do something, no matter how much it hurts, they do it. They follow through. So their yes means yes. And so when we say we're going to do something, do we do it? 
James Montgomery Boyce has said, no one has much trouble keeping his or her word when it's to their advantage. That's normal. But when the conditions are changed and the promise no longer is to your advantage, do you honor your promise? Or do you try to find some way out of that that you've committed yourself to? How true is that, isn't it? (laughs) But David says here, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. You know, it's really only through God's grace that we can have anything like this kind of commitment. And when we blow it, and we will, every time we don't keep a promise, it shows us that we're still not there yet. There's still work to be done in our lives. And now the first part of verse 5, David will focus on our, our commitments with our money. Again, he's answering the question, who can dwell with God? And the first part of verse 5 says, he does not put out his money at interest. You know, all throughout the Mosaic Law, there are many verses about lending money. You can, like in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 25, it says in Exodus 22.25, it says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not extract interest from him. And we can find verses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy saying the same thing. Now, this is not saying that we can't make money by borrowing. It's not wrong if, for someone to make a profit. But for the Jews, they were to help each other like a brother helping a brother. So when someone's down, you don't take advantage of them. It's, it's what's your motive in helping them? Are you lending them a helping hand or are you trying to make your bank account larger? And so within the family of God, are you trying to get rich or are you lending a helping hand? There needs to be love and compassion. We're to hold our resources out with an open hand and see if there's someone struggling and then we're to help them. He does not put out his money at interest. And then next in verse 5, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. So what this is saying is the rich and powerful, they shouldn't be able to buy you off. A holy man or a holy woman isn't interested in what the rich or powerful person has or what they can give to us to influence us. They can't influence us in any way. No, we're influenced only in the Lord, not by people. These people, they may have resources that would ask us to do something differently than we would. They want to move us away from the Lord. So in other words, money doesn't corrupt us. There's no temptation for us to be pulled away from walking with the Lord for earthly wealth. Again, David asking the question, who can dwell with God? This is the question. What kind of man or woman is God looking for? Who can enter into his tent or dwell with him on his holy mountain? So he's just walked us through these four traits or these characteristics that God's looking for in that person, in the person that wants to come and worship him. What David has done here in these verses 2 through the beginning of verse 5 is he's shown us, again, our inner self. Our inner self. David wants us to see what's going on in our thought life, in our conversation, what comes out of our mouth, in our companions. Who are we joined together with? Who is it that we enjoy fellowship with? In our commitments, are we somebody that can be trusted? 
the way we handle our resources. What David wants us to understand is God is searching. He's probing our hearts so we can know if we can have fellowship with Him. It's as if God has taken a spotlight and He's shown it all around in all the corners of our life. The four corners. That's why we have four characteristics here because He's showing the spotlight in the four corners of our lives that represent all of them. From the top of our head to the bottom of our toes. It's a top to bottom. Hey, you want to approach God and worship Him? Then here's what you need. Here's what you have to have. And again, this can make us feel pretty short. It can make us feel like we're never going to qualify. We fall short. Who could, who could fellowship with God? But this is what David wants us to feel because that's what he feels. He wants us to understand that there's nothing we can do to bring ourselves to this point without God living inside us. We cannot approach God to fellowship and worship Him unless we experience a change. There must be a change, an inside change, an inside-out change for anyone to display any of these characteristics or traits. These don't come naturally to us. It's the opposite. And that's why David wants us to know that the only those who repent, who confess and believe, are welcome to dwell, fellowship, and worship God. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that we can live out any of these characteristics at all. And for us, who are living on this side of the cross, again, we're secure in the redemption because of the work of Christ has done for us. We have a manifested grace that's growing in our heart as we walk in faith. And even though we are going to fall short, we still know we're being transformed. That these four characteristics, they are at work in our heart. And so we saw the question. And then David has given us the answer. And now third, he wants to give us the promise. He wants to end this by giving us some encouragement because we can feel pretty small right now. He knows that we can be discouraged. We're going to fall short. But look at the last verse in verse 5. He says, He who does these things will never be shaken. And so if we have this interchange, if, if we're walking, if we're working by faith, trying to work this all out, if, there, if there's a living reality in our lives, we will never be shaken. And so as we come before God, David says, he who does these things, notice the word does, so it's not that we only think about these things, it's not that we only desire about these things, no, he, he says, he who does these things, who lives, who acts, who works, who is walking, who carries out these things, And these things include everything that David just walked us through and also everything God requires of us. If we're changed, if we're living, if we're acting, if we're working, and if we're walking these things, what? We will never be shaken. Never. The word never be shaken. So if we're pursuing the Lord each and every day, there's an unshakableness to us. We have an anchor. We're anchored to the Lord and we can't be shaken. David already told us in Psalm 1. Remember what he said? And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of living water. And even though in the tough times, the the times of drought, the times of famine, we have an underground source of water that will never dry up, 
And so we can never be shaken. We are anchored to Christ. David asked the question, who can dwell with God? And then he gives us four characteristics or four traits that God requires for someone to approach Him, to fellowship, to worship Him. These are what we need, these are what we need if we want to dwell with God. And then David told us that if we do these things, if we walk forward in our faith and continue to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will never be shaken. And so as we conclude, as we, as we wrap this up today, we can ask the question, <laughs> we can answer the question of the progressive church that, that I started with. Do we need to change anything about ourselves to belong to God's family? Can we just approach God to fellowship, to dwell and worship Him? Well, David's just laid it out for us. So we do need, do we need to change anything about ourselves to belong to God's family? Yes. Can just anyone approach God to fellowship, dwell, and worship Him? No. Why? Because before that can happen, there must be an inside-out change, an inner change, a heart change. Only someone that is holy can approach a holy God. But if we're all sinners, how is that possible? How can anyone live tw- seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, just like David told us, just like as God requires us to live? Well, no one can, but what's amazing about all this is the only way any of this can happen is through God and His grace. God is so loving and so patient that He's made a way for us to approach Him, to fellowship, to dwell and worship Him. He's the one that made the way. And it's God who gives us all that we need so we can dwell with Him. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all at work so we can fellowship with Him. And so what God works out, what God works in, actually, we must work out. What God has placed in us, we must walk in an active will with a renewed mind, a renewed heart, Because it was God the Father who before the foundation of the world chose, He chose those who He would give to His Son. And it was God the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who left heaven and became a man, born of a virgin. He came to earth and He was that man. He was the only man who actually lived out these four characteristics that David just showed us. He was that man that walked with perfect integrity. He was that man who worked out righteousness. He was that man who always, without exception, exception, spoke truth in his heart. He was that man who never slandered with his tongue. He never did evil to his neighbor. But even though he was completely innocent, he was crucified. And if ever there was a man who swore to his own hurt and did not change, that would be our Lord Jesus Christ. Even, on, even when on the cross, he did not change. He could have called on legions of angels and ended it, but he didn't. And our whole spiritual, our, our whole spiritual identity, our whole spiritual destiny, our whole spiritual well-being, the forgiveness of our sins, and the difference between heaven and hell for you and me depend on that one man. David asked the question, Who may dwell with God? And he's answered the question with, here's the kind of character that God is looking for, which we see were perfectly lived out in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is why now we can approach God the Father. We can dwell in fellowship and worship Him. God chose us. Christ calls and saves us. And the Holy Spirit seals us. And so in order to dwell with God the Father, we must change. And that change must be that we are holy. And the only way that happens is by Jesus Christ. And so we ask the question, does this look like your life? Are you living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? God the Father has made a way to come and dwell with Him. He's made a way, and it's the only way to abide with Him. And today is the day to receive God's saving grace. Because we're all born separated from God. But He has made a way for us to restore our fellowship with Him. And we can't approach Him any other way. If we try any other way, we'll never make it and we'll then be forever separated from Him. But there is forgiveness. There is salvation. David showed us the person who can approach, dwell, fellowship with God. And that's a changed person. And when we're changed, David said, He who does these things will never be shaken. We not only get to dwell in God's tent with Him, but we can never be removed from that tent. Even Satan himself can't remove us out of God's holy mountain. And so when the ground of our life shakes underneath us, we can still stand firm because we are held by God who has allowed us to dwell in His holy tent forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how amazing this, this short little psalm. But what a blessing it is to us. Father, we are all born separated from you. But we are so thankful that you have made a way for us to come and dwell with you. That you sent your son. That he was able to live the life that we never could. And it's only through him that we can enter into your tent and fellowship with you. And not only that, but never, never be kicked out. We thank you again, Father, for your grace. For your grace. Help us to, to walk in that grace, to grow in that grace, to understand the faith and a deeper fellowship, a deeper worship of you. And Father, we thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.